0: Ladies and gentlemen, with Pope Francis's most recent nuke that he's released on the church, might be the most egregious thing he's done in his papacy, which is saying a lot considering what's happened. I believe he's created a schism in the church, and we're going to get to exactly what that means in a second, and I'm going to show you some scripture for why we can use that word schism uh, in different ways. Um, But I want to say this, the reason I'm going to say this is because I'm shocked in kind of a well, not in a good way, because none of this is good. But I guess I guess I'm, I'm surprised that not only are we seeing commentary from the quote unquote rad trads like myself and Taylor Marshall and whatever, not only are we seeing that, yes, the SSPX put out a response, which I suggest you go read from uh from Don Davide, the the uh, Superior General of the SSPX, Father Pagliarani. Um. Yes, the traditionalists have come out and said. This is exactly what it looks like. It's very bad. But I thought, I thought we were going to see um, more of a Pope type response from sort of what I affectionately call Catholic Ink. I thought we were going to see, you know, um, let's do a bunch of backflips. Let's do some mental gymnastics. This isn't really that bad. And yeah, you saw that from the most ridiculous of persons, but their opinions are, ridiculous and those individuals are ridiculous, but I thought we were going to see from these sort of acceptable kind of right-wing conservative Catholics, I thought we were going to see a very Pope-splainy response to this because we've seen that over and over again throughout Pope Francis's pontificate, but we didn't, and that's when I realized that this is not just something that the trads recognize as being wrong, as the trads tend to be right on these things. But this is something that anyone with a, a true desire to be a believing Orthodox Catholic was able to see through this. And we're going to look quickly at an article here um, for just a couple minutes from a priest. And I'll explain why this is so important that this priest is saying this. And then I want to show you some scripture as to why I believe Pope Francis has created a schism in the church. And I believe ultimately this is actually going to be used to go after the traditional orders um, and try to squeeze them out of existence. So here's an article from Father Thomas Wainandi. Now, Father Wainandi, and I'm not trying to throw stones here, but he's not a traditionalist. In fact, if you actually look through Father Wainandi's work, you'll find that he's been very pro Ordo to the point where he was actually, I guess you could say, ridiculed or really severely refuted by a number of very respectable um, theological minds within the traditional Catholic sphere. Dr. Janet Smith, Dr. Kwasniewski, and so forth. In fact, there was a book called Illusions of Reform that was actually released to sort of, I guess you could say, um, pick apart the the arguments that Father Wainandi has about the liturgy because he's been very pro-Novus Ordo. You can see here on the screen, I've got the um, outline of that book um, pulled up for us. and I'll just read very quickly what it says just to show you kind of, where Father Wynandi is coming from, from a perspective of a traditional Catholic. And this book, which uh, you can find from a Os Justi Press, Illusions of Reform, um, it's called A Response to Cavadini, Healy, and Wynandi, Father Wynandi, in the, def- the defense of the traditional mass. And this is the synopsis. And it says, between September and November 2022, Church Life Journal published a series of articles on liturgical reform, co-authored by doc- uh, doctors John uh, Cavadini, Mary Healy, and Thomas Wynandi. With its rosy view of the liturgical movement, its caricature of the Catholic faith prior to Vatican II, its forensically questionable affirmation of Sacroscentum Concilium's paternity of the Novus Ordo, not to mention its solemn chrismation of both by the Holy Spirit, and its severe rejection of the Tridentine movement, quote-unquote, the series sparked ample criticism of the author's perplexingly inadequate scholarship, grandiose generalizations, and pastoral callousness. Because the innovationist and anti traditionalist arguments of Cavadini, Healy, and Wanandi are perpetually recycled in seminaries and degree programs around the world, the commonplaces of countless bulletins, homilies, blogs, and workshops, the appearance of the series offers a providential opportunity to present Catholic counter arguments. So you can see here um, clearly, Father Wanandi is not known for being a traditionalist. And in fact, as Dr. K, Mary, uh, uh, Dr. Janet Smith, and so on and so forth, um, these kind of really respectable minds within traditional Catholic uh, thinking, they think that Father Winandi, uh, you know, and 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 his um, colleagues in this uh, series of articles they did, they actually think that they kind of parody the traditional Catholic faith. So when I saw that someone like Father Winandi was coming out, guns blazing against this document from Pope Francis, from Cardinal Fernandez, Pope Francis through Cardinal Fernandez. When I saw that, I said to myself, this is different. This is different. Um, you know, the conservative Catholic commentariat has bent over bent over backwards for pretty much all the gobbledygook coming from Francis. You know, starting with the Morris Letizia, when that came out about eight years ago, whenever it was, you know, you started to see there was this real divide happening between let's call them traditionalists and conservatives and I know those terms are problematic but we're just going to use them for the sake of this 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 quick podcast here so when I saw that father Winandi was not doing the bending over backwards thing and in fact was on the attack against what happened Pope Francis I thought to myself there's something going on here and I just want to show you real quickly just a couple of comments from father Winandi to show what I'm talking about so he goes on he gives a little background of this Okay, fine. You know, he gives sort of the preamble. Um, And he says here, after he's given the general commentary and sort of Cole's notes of the uh, document from Fernandez, and he says, in in all the above, there is the appearance of reason. So let's just break that down. He's critiquing and saying, this is unreasonable, meaning it's illogical, but also a great deal of jargon, sophistry, which is a word that you could, well... Sophistry in philosophy is like saying heresy in religion. That's a pretty strong word. And deceit. So Father Winandi believes that there's actually uh, something like an intention to deceive Catholics. Coming from a non-traditionalist, coming from somebody who's known for caricaturizing the pre-Second Vatican Council religion, coming from somebody who criticizes the traditional movement, to me, I said to myself, this is a big deal. Um, I did not expect to see this reaction from the conservative Catholic sphere. And here's the money line. And he says, he's talking about Cardinal Newman, uh, John Henry Newman. He says, Newman's alarming hypothesis, sorry, Newman puts forward, however, a hypothetical, though frightening hypothesis. What if a council or a pope were to teach a doctrine that would contradict a previous council or pope? So just pause there for a sec. For those of you who think it's impossible for a council or a Pope to say something that is not binding on you as a Catholic, um, I don't know what you're going to do with this. Cardinal Newman, uh, you know, he's been recently canonized in sort of the new way, but long before he was canonized, he's been a hero of traditional Catholic theologians, just solid Orthodox theologians. And Cardinal Newman writing in the 1800s is totally fine with his hypothesis that this could happen, um... He's not, I shouldn't say he's fine with it. He's, he's not happy about it. What I'm saying is he believes it's a possibility. Well, if that's the case, I mean, I don't really know where people get on this idea that it would be impossible to do so. But anyway, um, if we go back to the article here, he says, Newman declares that this, that it would shatter the notion of doctrinal development for who then would be able to judge what is authentically revealed and what is not. Newman's alarming hypothesis is not so hypothetical today. Despite its claim to the contrary, the declaration blatantly contradicts the perennial magisterial teaching of the church concerning irregular marriages and the sexual activity of same-sex couples. Must one conclude with Newman that such teaching eradicates the very notion of doctrinal development and ultimately the very notion of doctrinal truth itself? He goes on to say, here I would, consider, I would offer a thesis that Newman did not consider, one that I believe is important within our present ecclesial context. Newman presumed that all pontifical teaching or teaching from bishops concerning doctrine and morals is magisterial. I propose that any pontifical teaching or teaching that from bishops that overtly and deliberately contradicts the perennial teaching of previous councils and pontiffs is not magisterial teaching precisely because it does not accord with the past magisterial doctrinal teaching. So, this is an opinion of a very conservative but not traditional theologian who has been ridiculed uh, harshly by traditional Catholics for his caricature of traditional Catholicism. Yet I'm starting to see in his writing something that looks much more like something you'd expect from Dr. Kwasniewski, um, you know, Roberto de Mate, et etc. And we're seeing this from the sort of conservative Catholic intellectual sphere. And that's when I realized, that's when I realized that this is a Pope Francis has crossed the line in the minds of Catholics who are who attempt to be orthodox believing Catholics. He has crossed the line writ large. Pope Francis, my friends, has created a schism in the church. I don't know if you saw this, but um the 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 diocese where Bishop Schneider is located in Kazakhstan, now Bishop Schneider is an auxiliary bishop so he has an archbishop. His archbishop with him put out A letter to their flock, and it's obviously international at this point, where they've made it very clear that this document is an abomination, and in no way will they be implementing this in their diocese. In addition, I believe it was the bishops of Malawi, the bishops' conference of an African nation, they put out a document saying effectively the same thing, that in no way will this be implemented in the country of Malawi. Um, And I suspect that you're going to see similar things to this. And this is where I said to myself, okay, this is more than... Amoris Laetitia, this is more than the change uh, to the death penalty in the catechism, this is a different thing and this has crossed a line and let's look at scripture here for just a second and I'll show you exactly what I mean by when I say Pope Francis has created a schism so we look here, this is from Corinthians and we see St. Paul after his you know preamble and talking to the church in Corinth Um, uh, he goes here and um and this, I'll read this, this passage here. He says, As the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that nothing is wanting to you in any grace, waiting for the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also will confirm you unto the end without crime in the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you are called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the money line. He says, well, I didn't realize there's a Palestinian flag there. <laughs> Don't mean to get too political here. That's just on the... On the website. Anyway, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no schisms among you, that you be perfect in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let's say that again. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no schisms among you, but but that you be perfect in the same mind and in the same judgment. So St. Paul here is saying, the Church of Corinth, that he doesn't want there to be any schisms among them. What does that mean? Well, St. Paul is suggesting that there maybe were schisms in the Church of Corinth um, and that schisms were possible to happen in a way that's very different than we tend to use the word schism. So in the church we have actual full schism where someone separates from the Pope as such and sets up a parallel church. This is the Eastern Orthodox situation. But St. Paul is not talking about that. The reason we know he's not talking about that is because he mentions the word schism sort of in passing, meaning this thing, schism, is possible. Don't let this be a thing in the Church of Corinth. He's not saying, um, you know, uh, I have heard that there are separate parallel churches setting up blah, blah, blah. No, what he's talking about is that there is this division where there is this dividing line between Catholics, even in the early days of Corinth, where there's this possibility of being separated on the truth revealed by Jesus Christ. And this is what has happened in the church. Pope Francis has created a schism within the church. Now, again, we're not talking about has a parallel church been set up, what we're talking about is there is this demarcation. There is this line in the sand that has been drawn. And now we are going to have effectively, in a very de facto sense, basically... I'll use this term loosely, parallel churches operating within the actual Catholic church herself. Now, as always, this is not something that I think we should be surprised about. This has been the case in a very scattered sense since essentially the Second Vatican Council. With the advent of collegiality and the various bishops' conferences around the world setting themselves up as as pseudo-national churches, we have seen that there's a massive difference in Catholicism. Within the various nations, clearly, recently, uh, the most obvious example of that has been the German Bishops Conference, which is, you know, basically been going off the rails for a long time. But before this document was put out by Pope Francis uh, through or through Cardinal Fernandez, the German Bishops Conference was basically doing what is now in this document. This represents a fundamental shift in the Catholic world. Because now, not only do you have the traditionalists, which you would expect to be talking about this, you have even those who essentially ridicule the traditional Latin mass, now coming out swinging as if they're writing for One Peter Five or their guest on Dr. Taylor Marshall's show. And that, to me, is unprecedented. Again, think back to the changes in the death penalty uh, teaching in the Catechism by Pope Francis. Think to Amoris Laetitia. We didn't see this sort of thing. But this, my friends, has crossed the line. And why is that? Because conservative Catholicism basically centers around two major things. You see, after the council, traditional Catholicism was eviscerated, generally speaking. And conservative Catholics, those who wanted to keep the faith, somehow wanted to square the circle and think the Nova Sorda was hunky-dory. They basically allowed themselves to throw to the side pretty much traditional Catholic teaching, traditional Catholic uh, um, perceptions, let's say. But they held fast to the, to the moral side of thing, the faith side of thing, meaning you know, how the deposit of faith was presented to the faithful, that was a crapshoot. But they said to themselves, well, Catholicism is pro-life and Catholicism is pro-traditional marriage. Those are basically the same two things. I mean, think about it. If you think of what makes a quote-unquote conservative Catholic, it's basically somebody who's pro-life and believes marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's basically it. The mass is secondary. Even the death penalty, John Paul II was basically anti-death penalty for the most part. Um, So they've kind of accepted that for a long time. But the idea that there could be some sort of Catholic blessing of what accounts to so-called gay marriage, and that there could be a pro-choice position within the church, this is something that even conservatives have told themselves would never happen. They were able to bend over backwards for Morris Letitia. They were able to bend over backwards for the climate change nonsense, even though conservatives never really push climate change. They were able to bend over backwards for the nonsense about vaccines, etc. But this is a line they're not willing to cross. And to me, I find that fascinating. And because of that, I think you're going to continue to see more and more division within the church. Because here's the thing. Now we already have an entire nation in Africa. And this will probably be the first of many suggesting that they're just not going to do what the Pope says. That's a pretty big deal. What's going to happen to these bishops? I mean, are we going to have, you know, there's about 3,000 bishops in the world. How many bishops are going to be Bishop Strickland? Strickland did. Are they going to go after them all? What are they going to do then? I mean, are they going to really just kick out entire bishops conferences? What happens then? What happens to those bishops? We're going to start seeing, my friends, the logical conclusion of what it means to be in a crisis in the church where you get to the point Where you're in a sort of Arian crisis, and if you look back to the Arian crisis, you find that there were essentially two different churches operating. There were those like Saint Athanasius and Saint Eusebius of Samosote, who were kind of operating independently, Um, and then there were those, and they had massive followings, and then there was sort of the official church, which had essentially embraced embraced writ large a damnable heresy known as Arianism. But that's not the worst part of this. You have to ask yourself. Ultimately, what is the end goal of this? Well, when this happened, I tweeted the following. On December 18th, I tweeted, they will, and I was talking in reference to this declaration, they will go to your FSSP and ICKSP, Institute of Christ King Sovereign Priest, parish and ask for a blessing, meaning the folks wanting to have their unions blessed will go to these traditional parishes it will be like bake my cake. It's the same communist playbook. If you recall, um, maybe you can think back to I think it was 2016 or so, whenever it was, and there were the sort of gay rights activists going to that bakery in Colorado where the guy was known to be a Christian, and they asked him to make a wedding cake for their invalid, illicit marriage, and um, and he said I wouldn't do it, and. It had nothing to do with... Anyway, you know the story. The point is they did this because the law had changed and now they were going to go use this law against this man to go against his Christian conscience. And this is exactly what we are going to see. Now, remember, I tweeted this on December 18th. Now, I want to show you what happened within short order. A day later, um, an article came out at LifeSite News. It's also in other places, I would imagine. And um, you can see here Dr. Hickson... She tweeted out this article, and it said, head of Austrian bishops says priests cannot refuse blessings of homosexual couples. And I tweeted, as I said yesterday, traditional diocesan parishes will now be targeted. If they are under the bishop, they will have to do it, or they will be shut down. But this is not just my opinion. Another priest tweeted something that validates and vindicates exactly what I said. Here's what Father Krupp tweeted. And, and, and Krupp is, I think he's pretty conservative, but he's definitely not a traditionalist. And he said, the Holy Father and Cardinal Fernandez have put priests in an impossible position. And this is on December 19th, the same day that the Austrian Bishop's Conference, it was reported that they had done what I said would happen. I've talked to three, three or four clergy today, and I imagine this is probably just in his diocese, who are already who, were, who already were fielding calls from couples in irregular marriages and or gay couples to set up their blessing. So we end up being called reactionary conservatives, homophobes, hateful priests, or disobedient to the Holy Father. Whatever label they use for us, we become the reason they no longer practice the faith. We become the story they tell people about the bad priest, that bad priest, all because Rome decided to do something that isn't doing something that really is doing something. That's actually a pretty good take by him, so bravo. Merry Christmas, faithful priest. So what is he saying here? He's saying that it's already started. Already, the gay right, gay lobby activists are now calling up these parishes and they are going to force their hands. If you're in a place where your bishop says you have to do it, what are you going to do? And you are out of your mind if you don't think that they are going to target traditional and very conservative Catholic parishes. And why is that? Because ultimately, this whole thing, my friends, is Luciferian. This whole thing is united by this sulfuric, satanic spirit that is meant to destroy the church. And ultimately, in order to destroy the church, which we know ultimately will never happen, the gates of hell will never prevail. The gates of hell will never prevail. But Christ did not tell us that the gates of hell would not have the church effectively on the ropes. That's not a teaching. Um, In addition... The gates of hell prevailing, people kind of inflate that to be more than it is. Uh, it is completely possible within this prophecy of Pope, uh, Pope Francis, this prophecy of Jesus Christ that the gates of hell would not prevail. It is completely possible that effectively it would seem that the gates of hell have prevailed. So when people say, uh, you know, you're saying the Pope said something that's going to destroy the church, you're saying the gates of hell prevailed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's what it looks like because Christ did not give us a promise that it wouldn't look like that. Furthermore, whatever happens, whether there's an anti-pope, whether the vast majority of the church goes into apostasy, whether there's invalid declarations of schism and excommunication, whatever it is, regardless of all that, as long as there is the Catholic faith, as long as there are the sacraments, as long as there are priests saying the holy sacrifice of the mass, the gates of hell have not prevailed because the power of Christ is still working through those things. So you could be in the point where there's like a tiny number of priests around the world we are not heretics. You could be to the position where there are very few bishops out there who are not complete heretics, and it would not be the gates of hell prevailing because the power of Christ is still here. And you gotta think about the end times. When the end times come, Christ says, when he returns, will he find faith on earth? You know, you look through the prophecies of the church fathers and so forth, and how they understand the book of Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, and it's very clear that by the time of the Antichrist, the church is going to be effectively wiped out of the earth, be very small, and uh, there won't be that many Catholics left by the by all said and done. So you can say all these things without saying that Christ's promise has been made null and void. That doesn't really follow. But in any case, in order to destroy the church, effectively speaking, you have to destroy Catholic tradition. Conservative Catholicism is not going to save the church. Ratzingerian dialectics about the hermeneutic continuity, this is not going to be the thing that stops the onslaught of modernism on the church. The hermeneutic of continuity is kind of modernism anyway because it's sort of tarrying with the negative as Hegel would call it. It's it's taking the old and the new and finding some sort of synthesis between them. The problem is is that modernism, which is sort of the post conciliar spirit and traditionalism are antipodal and they can't be mixed anyway. So that's an impossibility it's anyway. So what you're going to see mark my words you know in the diocese of Chicago for example where you have Cardinal Supech in the countries like Austria, and I'm sure Germany is going to be the same way. I would imagine Canada is going to have a very similar thing to this. If you go to a fraternity parish and you go to an Institute of Christ the King of the Parish, if you go to a traditional diocesan Latin mass parish, what you're going to find is that you're going to have your priests in a position where they're going to be told, bake my cake. And what do you think is going to happen? They're obviously going to be suspended. They're going to be kicked out. The parish is going to be shut down. And this is the ultimate... Endgame. This is the real evil of what has happened. You want to do apologetics about, um, you know, this or that? It doesn't matter. That is going to be what's going to happen. So pray for traditional Catholic priests because they're going to, well, they're going to have hell to pay for what Pope Francis has done. As always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.